Hello, everybody. Welcome to Grow Yourself from the Inside Out. I'm your host, Kevin McNulty, and I just want to first say thank you so much for joining us, whoever's live there. And um, looking forward to it. This is our seventh episode, and I really have a terrific guest that... Um, Wow, almost stumbled across. I, I can't I, I can only say that it's maybe, you know, uh, uh, God kind of made this thing happen. It's it's a uh, she's a, an author. I'll tell you more about her later in just a moment uh, and um, and about her many books that she's written. But um, I want to begin by just sort of offering a few thoughts about the topic today in my work as a coach and a speaker and you know, a writer and, and these sorts of things. I I speak a lot about the idea of what we call the see-do-get. And the see-do-get is really, it's kind of a model. It's like a model on human dynamics. And it's, it suggests the following, and maybe if I've said this too in other uh, episodes of, my, of this podcast. It basically suggests that you have three aspects of human dynamics. One is, is your thoughts and your beliefs. And this is your see. So it's how you see the world, how you see yourself. It's what I call your mind's culture. You've, over time, you've had, I guess, millions of input, feedback, experiences in life. And this generates this your mind's culture. This generates a culture in your mind and therefore establishes your thoughts and your beliefs, particularly your deeper thoughts and beliefs. So what we say is that your thoughts and beliefs, then they drive or influence how you behave. And that's the do. So the do is your behaviors, your habits, your actions, whatever the case might be. So another way to look at that is to say that everything that you do in life flows out of what you think and believe. And then the third component is the get, and that is the results or the outcomes that you get. It could be uh, short-term, you know, immediate outcomes, or it could be long-term outcomes, whatever the case might be. And so then you say, well, your, your get, what you get in life flows out of what you do. So you see this, you, 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 you get the see, do, get, that what you think drives what you do, what you do drives the results that you get in life. And it becomes cyclical because the results that you get then drive more of what you see. And so what we can sort of conclude from that, if you just look at it from a pure logical standpoint, is that if what you do flows out of what you see and what you get flows out of what you do, then is it logical, isn't it reasonable to say that what you get in life flows from what you think and believe? And so we use this again, I, I use this in coaching and speaking, you know, to describe sort of how human dynamics work, how we work from the inside out, if you want to put it that way. So the other thing that I talk about is change. I, I wrote a book on change and transition, the gap between two worlds. And so, you know, today, we're, this evening, we're going we're to combine a couple of these ideas. So now thinking about this see, do, get, imagine this. Imagine that what you see in your mind, what you think and believe, um, is that um, you are not sufficient to yourself, perhaps anyone else, to love yourself. That you don't love yourself. This is what you think. This is how you operate, how your mind's culture is. So now, let me ask, if, if you don't love yourself, if you have negative beliefs about who you are, what you're capable of, what do you think you will do? And as a result of what you do, what do you think you're going to get in life? But you see, the, the thing about this is when we talk about personal growth and, and human dynamics and all these things that we're about to talk about, the problem is, is that, you know, it's often so hard to change. I mean, listen, <laughs> if you've got about three or four decades, I can tell you about the things that I've tried so many times over my life to change. I, you know, you know, as, as, a, as a being on a spiritual journey, honestly, you know, when and you all know that I'm a Christian, most of you that know that I'm a practicing Christian. But here's the deal. 
Um, I, I probably relate more to Paul than I do to Jesus Christ in the Bible. Why? Because of the one thing that I read about Paul, and I can't quote him exactly, but he, he was basically, I guess, praying or saying something to God, basically saying, why do I do the things that I don't want to do? And why don't I do the things that I know I should do? And this is like the story of my life. Well, I know in part why I do, this is the kind of business that, I, that I'm involved in. And it's just that some of these things get so deeply seated in our hearts and soul that it takes a tremendous amount of work to change certain things. And so when we talk about the see, do, get, there's another component that's in between the get and the see, and that is the shift. So for instance, in coaching, you're trying to help a person shift how they see things. You might be a leader who thinks your employees, you know, are just there to support you and to serve you. That's a belief, and so what do you do? You all sorts of things, treat your employees bad, what do you get, bad morale, all these kinds of things. So if I'm working with a person like that, then I'm trying to help them shift the way they see employees or something to this effect, okay. So now back to this notion of, and, and, and by the way, so, so the last thing that I'll say is I talk about blind spots. And a blind spot, of course, is something that you don't see about yourself or that you don't s sufficiently see it or understand it and therefore don't change. But other people see these things, you see? So now let me get back to this whole notion about loving yourself. Some people don't love themselves. I think there's a lot of people we have, I think, tremendous problems sometimes in our country. And I think that um, a lot of the discourse that's going on is making us hate each other and maybe hate ourselves. And you know that 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 was a bit of, that was a bit of a rabbit hole. But but here's the point: How do you love yourself if you don't love yourself? What what do you do? Well, that's what my guest is here to talk about. And um, Leslie Lindsay Davis, uh, she's an extraordinary person. I haven't, you know, I've only spoken to her a couple of times, uh, but it was it was very obvious. And then then I had a chance to read her book, at least most of her book, and. Uh, She's a serious person, but there's a, there's a caveat there. She uh, she's pretty funny too, and uh, she's I I get the feeling that she's also pretty sarcastic. So we we don't know exactly what we're going to get here today, but let me tell you this. So Lindsay, uh, excuse me, Leslie Lindsay Davis is a five time author, and she's working on her her sixth book. We're going to ask her about that. Her first book was You Can't Eat Love: How Learning to Love Yourself Can Change Your Relationship with Food. Now. Don't get stuck on that yet, because there's a whole different thing that's going to come out of that. Uh, it's, an, it's an Amazon top 20 in at least two categories since it was released in just this past January. Like so many, it took a moment of extreme sadness for Leslie to realize something had to change. She began a journey to fix what she thought was broken. Okay. That was when she discovered the, and I believe she probably coined this phrase, the myself-sized my self hole in her heart. That was when she realized she was not broken, just uninformed. She did not know how to love herself. Now, Leslie is on a mission to help others find their why. We're going to ask her about that too. Find their why to go on any journey of self-discovery, you know, to introduce them to their very best friend in the whole world. You might know where we're going with that. To learn to love themselves and to live their best life. Uh, it is really a, a great pleasure to have uh, Leslie Lindsay Davis here with me. And there you are, Leslie. So good to have you. I'm, I'm literally like I just had, uh, you know, these, these things that go up the back of your neck, these chills from... Uh, looking forward to this conversation. Thank you so much, and welcome to Grow Yourself from the Inside Out. Well, Kevin, thank you so much for allowing me to be here, to be part of this. Um, and yes, I would have to say that it had to be, you know, the universe, God, whatever greater power you believe in, who intervened and brought us together because it was very accidental that we did meet. Yes. And in our first conversation, I mean, from the start, uh, you know, we just you know, clicked as, as we say. And so there's, that's sort of other proof. You know, I did get a chance to read uh, a lot of your book and uh, I'm going to finish reading it because, and I say this very sincerely, I don't, I, um, 
well, let me just say this. It was filled with one, which I guess I wasn't expecting, humor and sarcasm, some really good stuff too, uh, that I think plenty are gonna, people are gonna laugh about. Uh, there were a few things that I read that, you know, that I laughed out loud about, like the part where you said, um, it was one of the lies that you told yourself, something about, you know, the crumbs on somebody else's plate you know, actually has calories too, you know, and I just thought, you know, I can see you reaching over after somebody's gotten up from the dinner and grabbing their little half a cookie there. Uh, and uh, you were also, though, very raw and very real about this. So there was humor and, 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 and sarcasm, but some deep stuff too, some real raw, and, and I love that about that. And then the other thing is, is that I swear uh, every other line was quotable. I, I was just amazed some of the things that you said that that I went, wow, that needs to go on some poster somewhere. So listen, uh, the bottom line is I don't actually know where to start with uh, interviewing you or asking you because there's really so much that I want to ask you about. I have some anchor questions here, but I'm just going to start with the obvious, and that is the title of your book. How did you come up with that? You can't eat love. I mean, wow. So <laughs> tell us about that. Well, uh, to give a little bit of background, um, our mother died 37 years ago, mm. and she died two weeks before my oldest child, her first grandchild, was born. So I, um, I never really grieved her. I never had really had a chance to grieve her because you know you go from that to having a baby <clears throat> to these other things. And so I always struggled, and I hated Mother's Day because my first Mother's Day as a mother was my first Mother's Day without my mother. So anyway. Flash forward a few years, um, well, decades actually. Um, my youngest sister always made a pie because that was one of our family's signature things was uh, this chocolate meringue pie. And my youngest sister commented that every Mother's Day she would make this chocolate meringue pie to you know, honor our mother. And I decided a couple of years ago that, okay, um, I, I think that I can do this and I, made the pie well not much of it got eaten on mother's day itself and so i decided that for breakfast that that monday morning the day after mother's day i was going to have chocolate meringue pie for breakfast yes that is very nutritious it has eggs and it has milk in it and, you know, <laughs> don't argue with me about the nutrition okay <laughs> um i will put scrambled eggs bacon you're already going pie. there aren't you <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Anyway, I'll put scrambled eggs, bacon, and toast up against chocolate meringue pie any day of the week. Um, so anyway, I was sitting there and I was eating it and I was thinking about the pie and I was thinking about my, my mother and my grandmother and you know all the family members that were no longer there. And it was like um, somebody turned on all the lights in the room. And the words that came into my mind were, you can't eat love. And I happened to have just a, a scrap piece of paper and a pen laying on the on the table, and I grabbed that and I wrote what actually, quite a while later, became the first two paragraphs of the book, um, where I talk about you know I was back with you know memories and, and loved ones that were gone, and I suddenly realized that uh, how many times I had been trying to fill something and I didn't understand what it was that I was trying to fill and this flash was I was trying to fill what I call a myself sized hole in my heart because I just felt so unlovable and unloved especially by myself and that really was kind of a turning point for me when I realized that when I realized you know I can't eat love and if you stop and think about it, you know, you were talking about your, your, what is it? See, the see, do, get. Mm -hmm. When, when we're going on the see, do, get cycle, we also have to be filling our minds and our, our spirits with things that are of value mm. so that we can move from the seeing to the doing to the getting. Because if we're filling our minds with things that are not of value or are even untrue, such as I am not lovable, I am not worthy, well, then we're not able to really grab what we can do because we already have these limiting beliefs. And yes. then, of course, 
we can't move on to the next thing. Yes. Because we don't believe that we are worthy of deserving to get these things. And so it really um, was about a journey. And I mean, I don't know about you, but I'm always on a journey to somewhere, to something. You know, the yep. last year, yes, we haven't been moving very much physically. A lot of us haven't trained, you know, gone very far. But I'm always on a journey to learn more, to see more, to do more, to discover more. And I believe that everybody else is as well. Um, so that's where You Can't Eat Love came from. And I sent the book to my youngest sister, who is now a counselor. Um, and, and she works with people who are dealing with grief um, or addiction and or addiction. And she told me after she read it, she said, well, this could be called You Can't drink love, you can't drug love, you can't, whatever your issue is, love. Um, and I thought that that was very powerful and impactful because I had never really considered it outside of my own world. So, you know, it. there was a part here, though, that I read in your book, and I'm trying to remember exactly where I read that. Um, I have it right here. It says... And, you know, and if I go too far ahead of you, just pull it back. I mean, you know, I, I want you to express, you know, it in a way that works best for those, uh, those, uh, you know, the people watching here. And you said, you said somewhere in your book, it said, I had reached a point in my life where I hated to see reflections of myself. When I passed a window or a mirror, I would only look at my eyes. I would not allow my gaze to fall anywhere else. I would not even look at my shadows. I hated my reflection that much. I was angry with myself for not caring enough to be healthier. Mm -hmm. Wow, Th this, this epitomizes the seed you get, that you behave in a way based on what you think and believe. But, but tell me about that because to you know, maybe to a lot of degrees, I mean, uh, to, to us, not a lot of degrees, to various degrees. I, um, I think a lot of people suffer this again, you know, maybe not, I hate myself, but I hear this all the time. I mean, people are, you know, constantly sort of disapproving of who they are, what they think, what they do, their career, whatever. T tell me a little bit about that. Well, I was raised by uh, a mother who really didn't Care about food. I mean, food was not, you know, top of her list of priorities. It, don't misunderstand. We we had food. We had sufficient amount of food, but we had also lived for five years in in Venezuela, and we lived in a camp. Mm. Uh, so there was a commissary. So you didn't have the toot and toad or the McDonald's or the Dairy Queen or anything like that. So what we had was what we had, and it was sufficient. And then when we moved back to the states, she would. Um, by, you know, enough, we had enough food, but it was, you know, very restricted. Um, she would prepare the meals, you know, to feed eight people. And we didn't usually have leftovers because when you've got eight people, you don't have a lot of leftovers anyway. But our, our food was pretty regulated. So I didn't really understand um, portions and things like that. But also she focused a lot on, you know, what your appearance was. And also remember, you know, society, magazines, the news, media, whatever, they value slim and thin. And then you throw into the mix people who are unwilling to address your thoughts, your feelings. And then you get very confused, uh, which I talk about because um, I may be wandering off the path, so you're going to have to... No, please, keep going. Uh, one of the things that got me so frustrated as I was growing up is you would fall off your bike. I would fall off my bike. I would be hurt. Um, you know, I'd have skinned elbows, skinned knees. I'd be banged up, you know, end up with all kinds of bruises. And my parents or whatever adults were around, oh, you're not hurt. Well, you know, what? I'm not hurt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm not. It sure hurts, but I'm not hurt. <laughs> <laughs> so that, yeah. that right there, you know, starts creating a cognitive dissonance. Yeah. I see. And then how many times when little kids fall down, you know, we're talking about toddlers that are just learning how to walk and they fall down and they get up and they're crying and you pick them up and you say, oh, you're not hurt. Um, what, what message is that? So even though I took a different tact with my own children, 
I would acknowledge that, yes, they were hurt. I can only imagine you know, how that hurt. I didn't give myself the same grace. So uh, once I got into college, I was, you know, really struggling with who I was and all that kind of stuff. And then, you know, you, you, um, the world of uh, fast food and all that starts opening up. So I started gaining weight and then it just kind of went hog wild and pig crazy. But I would, as I said in the book, I would pass myself and I would not look at myself because I was so ashamed of how badly uh, I had allowed myself to get out of shape. And I was imagining all those comments from all the people that were around me and people that were gone, you know, no longer on this earth because they were dead, uh, you know, how disappointed they were and things like that. And I just felt, I felt so less than and so undeserving. And I, I, say in the book, you know, I did this exercise where I would try and look at myself in the mirror and say, I love you. And I couldn't do it. It actually took two years, two years for me to be able to look at myself in the mirror and say, I love you. And, uh, you know, not have tears coming down my face uh, because I felt that unworthy. And as I started learning to love myself and part of what I did at the very beginning was forgiving myself for not taking very good care of myself um, because forgiving yourself is very powerful. I, I think part of what it, part of what I would like to understand a little bit more is that was this where you when you got to the point where you couldn't see, look at yourself in the mirror and you hated what you saw or whatever or, or hated who you were. Was this just, did this, it sounds like it just came on over time. There wasn't like this one specific thing. I mean, you know, <clears throat> like some people will say that they were, you know, bullied or, or maybe point something to more specific, even though you did, you know, offer your, of course, your thoughts about, um, about the way that your family, your mother looked at food. But I guess what I'm asking, because I know there's another book out there, and Susan Redmond, who's on with us, she's going to have to remind me of what that book is, having to do with loving yourself, that it has, uh, it has to do with the stories that we tell ourselves. And that over time, that story grows, right? Is that is essentially what happened? Well, and that is exactly what happened. And I didn't realize it until looking back. Uh, and part of the story was uh goes back to my now ex-husband the first time that he met my family um he attended a very large party with me uh, for my grandparents 50th wedding anniversary and he told my one of my sisters who is uh, seven years younger than i am that he wished he could marry her uh you know it's kind of ouch. young yeah ouch is right and i just kind of laughed it off but didn't laugh it off. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And so things like that started building. Um, and then he would make comments such as, you know, you're lucky that I married you. And um, I'm just like, what? Wait, what? Uh, and then, you know, when I divorced him, because that was what I had to do, uh, you know, I was the bad guy. And, and so, you know, th those are just some little tiny things. But then again, I didn't know how to be a parent. You know, that was the other thing. I had no clue how to be a parent. My own mother was gone. We were actually raised by maids for a little while. But I mean, my parents were not really parents. They did the best that they could. But I didn't know how to be a parent. So I made it up as I went along. And I felt as if I was failing every step of the way because I didn't have anybody to affirm that I was doing anything right. And that that's kind of the the big story you know there was nobody i i kept looking outside for affirmation that i was doing something right wow wow that's very interesting i, I will show you there's the name of the book right there i don't know if you've heard about it you know love love yourself like your life depends on it um you know what you're saying there though is is it resonates it's it's very powerful from the standpoint that you know, I think many of us, I could say that I fall into this category. Um, people that know me very closely know that. And my, you know, my dad who just passed in, in, in April, God rest his soul. You know, he, you know, he was a tough, he was a tough father. And, uh, you know, and oftentimes I found it very difficult because he was a, 
he was a Green Beret and he was just a tough, badass kind of a person, extremely disciplined, um, just and very tough and all these sorts of things. And I was, you know, I was like a poet, you know, and a and a wanderer and a and a, and a and a you know and a daydreamer. And it was, you know, it was you know, it was just the the opposite of what he wanted from a son. There was four four boys and a girl, but you know, but he he, you know, demanded hard work and discipline, and all these other sorts of things. And I wasn't that. I was I was lazy. I wanted to play music. I wanted to daydream. I wanted to be a clown. And so, you know, we had a tough time together growing up. And so here's the point that I'm making though. You know, when I became an adult, <clears throat> you know, I was guess I could say I was angry about things that my dad had said to me or this, that, and the other. But I also, once I became a matured adult, and I think this is getting to the point partly where you're saying, is, you know, consciously, and, and I would say intellectually at least, I forgave him, you know, I didn't, I got to the point where I was like, listen, he did the best that he could. And you know, he had his own issues growing up and, and he was and he loved me. I knew he loved me and all these other sorts of things. So so I forgave him in my head, but that still didn't get it done. And I think that's your point, right? That even though we can say this, that's not that's no longer the problem, is it? No, it, it isn't. Um, and then, you know, what what's happened to us is the words that those people said to us, the thoughts that they said to us, um, the uh, the non-affirmation, the not good enoughs, the you can do betters and all those kinds of things, those create what I call ruts down a muddy road. Mm. And, you know, that car has been driving down that muddy road so many times that those ruts are so deep, that car can almost go on autopilot. You can, you know, kick back in your chair, read a book, eat a sandwich, whatever. And that car is going to make it exactly to the destination. Wow. And that destination is you feeling not enough, that you wow. are not enough. And so what, what I discovered is that I had to start doing something different. Now, doing something different is incredibly hard. It is so hard. Yes. And uh, part of the time I'm talking in the book, we're on a trip and, you know, part of it is we're in stuck in traffic. But the other thing is that I want people to understand our habits, our beliefs mm. are like a muddy road with very deep ruts. Yeah. They go on autopilot. If we're going to change those habits and those beliefs, we have to get on that road and we have to make sure that the car goes somewhere other than where the ruts are. Wow. And then we have to drive very slowly. Wow. Because if you've ever driven on a muddy road, you know how easy it is to go off into the ditch or to slide back into those ruts. Slide so, back into the ruts. Exactly what I was thinking. The metaphor is perfect. That so if you try to ride the if you try to ride the edge of that rut, you know, one little slip and you're back in. And that's and 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 please, that's a beautiful metaphor. So as we drive very slowly down this muddy road, there are going to be times when we slip back into those ruts. And so we say to ourselves, you know what? I fell back in the ruts. It wasn't what I wanted to do, but it's okay. I forgive myself. Let's see how we can do something different next time. Not how we can do something better. You know, let, let's remove any kind of qualifiers because, you know, our, our those mm. voices, those hamsters in our head are talking about better and perfection and all that kind of stuff. We don't want to aim for perfection. We don't even want to aim for better. We just want to aim for different. So yeah. we go down that road as slowly as we can. And as we're going down that road, you notice that there's some mud being kicked out from the tires. Well, some of that mud is falling off into the ruts that were already there. And so we start laying down new dirt and filling up those old ruts and we start making new ruts. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't fall back into the old ruts. What it does mean is we have the ability to get ourselves out of those old ruts to, for 
forgive ourselves for having done that, to have a conversation with ourselves. What was going on? Please tell me, how can I take care of you? Let me know how you're feeling. And then we can kind of breathe for a moment and then we continue on down the road. Because I talk about the concept of your very best friend in the whole wide world. So mm. many times we speak to ourselves as we would not another human being. So when I started recognizing that I was basically two people, I was me and my very best friend in the whole wide world. And I started speaking to my very best friend in a way that I wanted somebody to speak to me. Then it became a little bit easier to try and stay you know, out of those ruts and on that muddy road, but also to give myself grace. Okay, so you know what? You went to a party, you ate everything in sight, and you know something? That's okay. The next time you go to the party, you're going to do something different. It's all right. Let's just keep on going. You know, I will, and, and I'm going to pay, play devil's advocate for here for just a moment because, well, first of all, I resemble that remark. And, um, you, you know, but I will also rationalize it away. Can you kind of get into another rut where you're saying, you know, where you're just like, for lack of a better term, you're just, you're too forgiven. You know, that you're, you're, you're just, you're, you're just saying over to yourself over and over. Well, you know, try again, try again, try again. And I know for me, I will eventually go, well, crap, Kevin. I mean, you know, you know, get it done, dude. Quit, you know, quit doing it over and over. I mean, do you see where I'm going with that? That you, you, it almost seems like that that's, that ends up then being the story. So then finally you wear yourself out because you've failed so many times, if you want to say it that way. And then you just go back into the rut and settle in there for a while again. I mean, is any of this making sense to you? Uh, yes, but I'm going to repeat your devil's advocacy. Okay. <laughs> First of all, the word fail. Let's look at that in a different manner. Okay. The word fail no longer means that you um, are a failure. It means that, you know, it no longer means that you did not succeed. The word fail means first attempt in learning. Okay. Say that again first attempt in learning okay love it so whenever you hear the word fail i want you to say to yourself well of course that was my first attempt in learning wow. well, we didn't learn how to ride a bike we didn't learn how to ride the bike the first time and then when we fell off we walked away did we no when the child start when a baby starts walking and they fall down do mm. we say they failed and we they stopped no That's, it's mm. your first attempt in learning how do we learn? We keep going. The way that we learn is we make a mistake. If you do not make a mistake, you do not learn anything. Man, I we love that. We are not that. born knowing everything. All right. I'm just so going to say this. You got me on that one. You know. I mean, well, seriously. I'm not through yet. Oh, okay. Go ahead. <laughs> go ahead. Oh, you're not through wearing me out for. <laughs> go ahead. <laughs> I love it, man. The reason that we keep going down the road, the reason that we keep trying to make the new ruts is because we are crystal, crystal clear on why we even got on the dead gum road in the first place. That wow. is what keeps us going and going. If we are not crystal clear on why we got on that road in the first place, of course, we're going to say, oh, forget it, too hard, yeah. give up, and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Man, that's powerful. You know, I have to admit that I've often said that on my gravestone, I want it to say, he tried really hard, you know, <laughs> you know, it's interesting. Now, my sister, she chimed in here with a very interesting, uh, she's kind of going with this metaphor a little bit, kind of sort of playing along. She said, it's hard, but it's so freeing to go through the car, car wash. I love that. I mean, that's, there's, there's another way to look at it, you know, and, you know, and then take the next road. No, that's, that's really, um, that's that's really really powerful. This this idea of failing. Um, what did you say? It's the first attempt in learning. in learning. You know, listen. I mean, people in the speaking world, and you know, all these these quotes and metaphors that we use. There's this this. You've, I'm sure you've heard about you know Edison that what he he failed ten thousand times before he actually you know and Michael Jordan you know he he calculated the the amount of shots that he missed. And these, of course, both of these people, amongst many, uh, like you said, rebuke this idea of failure. And so you are, in fact, saying, you know, try and try again, right? Just keep trying. Now, 
Leslie, are there then some some are there milestones or are there are there um, artifacts or or things you know like um, signs along this road that start to suggest to you that you are really making some progress here? I, I don't know if there's a better way to, to, to ask that question. Well, uh, I mean, how do you was, know that you are getting where you, you're getting out of this rut and that encourages you to keep going, that sort of a thing? Well, for me, it was when I started realizing that the, the anger um, and the uh, instant reaction to mm. uh, times and people wasn't happening. Uh, when mm. I, I wouldn't uh. feel immediately reactive, uh, when I could be around people who maybe not be so kind or, you know, maybe yeah. they, um, they didn't say things the way that I wanted them to say, or they didn't behave in the way that I wanted them to behave. And instead of having one of those really toxic conversations in my head, oh my gosh, you know, can you believe that they did that? I just can't believe they did that. I thought that they would have learned by now. And oh my gosh, I can't believe you. Yeah, I thought that I would have learned by now. Why did I put myself, you, you know what kind of conversation I'm Yes, I know exactly what kind of conversation you're talking about there. You know, <laughs> well, I, I can't I tell you the number of times that I called myself stupid. <laughs> you know how, how you know yeah <laughs> so when i when i recognize that instead of having that crazy insane conversation and calling myself stupid um instead i would say you know what you have to let them be them and it's okay just you know move on or i would catch myself not calling myself stupid uh and I would say, wow, I am so proud of you. You didn't call yourself stupid. You didn't say that what you did was stupid. You know, you, you were kind to yourself. That's when you recognize that you're beginning to make progress. I see. But in order to make progress, you need to be conscious about something, about things that you're doing. And when you realize that you are doing something, celebrate the, what you did. So, for example... Mm. When uh, when I was trying to be kinder to myself, and instead of saying, "Oh my gosh, I can't believe you were so stupid that you would put the you turned on the wrong burner and then you left the pot sitting there and it didn't boil," oh my, yeah, but that really is a real conversation. When instead <laughs> I said, "Oh my gosh, I can't believe I turned on the wrong burner. It's going to be dinner's going to be a little bit late." Yeah. Okay. Oh, wow. Oh, my goodness. Let me celebrate. Yay. Yay. You. Wow. Look <laughs> at what you did. That is yeah. so amazing because our minds want to be happy. So if you're working in the, you know, you're working in the work environment, you're working with people, with teams, with leaders and things like that, a very, very, very simple tweak that you can make for those or suggest for those leaders to do is to start recognizing the little things that the people on their team are doing. Hey, you know, the other day, I noticed that during the meeting, you made a comment uh, about the work that, you know, Susan had done. And I want to tell you that that was so nice of you to do that. And I can only imagine how much she appreciated you acknowledging it. Because then what happens? You know, hmm. what, then he's saying, oh, they noticed something that I did. And then they want right. to do more of it. Because, you know, the expression is you have the kid who's acting up in class and they're doing it to get attention. People yes. are going to do whatever they have to do to get whatever kind of attention it is that they're going to get. Yes. So you might as well, which is what I realized, I might as well start recognizing the things that I was doing well, regardless of how big or small they were and i might as well start celebrating those things because i wanted to change what i was doing now the flip side of that coin is ignore what you don't want to have happen so for example we go mm. back to the party where i ate everything under the sun i just ignored it i said you know you did that it's over we're moving on ignore it yeah instead of the shaming and the blaming that usually takes place. I love what you're saying there. Now, there's another way that I would submit that to you. And, and you know, others have said this idea. It, I think, amounts to the same thing. But that's your, you know, there, there are some who would suggest that 
when you have these kinds of negative thoughts, and we're, I guess we're talking a little bit about emotional intelligence or whatever, that when you have these negative thoughts, that you don't fight them. Because when you fight them, you actually give them energy. You don't even have to uh, rationalize them or anything else. But to your point, what I actually hear you saying is to, and this is what, what uh, I submit to people, is that you just acknowledge them. It's almost like this thought is coming, a, that a negative thought, that whole self-talk thing. And you, it, it's, almost, it's almost like you're just saying, I see you. And then to and to your point, then you move on, you see. But but I think the the key of what you're saying here is to not wear yourself out over it because of, you know, first of all, we can all agree that what's done is done and that there's not um, going to be much benefit in just beating yourself up about it because you are, as you said, just reinforcing those thoughts and beliefs that have been haunting you in the first place. Right. Exactly. You know, the other thing, though, and so to sort of uh, now to turn this around, what I also hear you saying, Leslie, is sort of meets with this whole concept of uh, positive, you know, positive reinforcement that that they, they, they even tell you when you're raising kids or, or training your dog that you're much it's much more powerful to support and reinforce the good that they're doing than to beat them up over the bad that they do. And it, and, and of course, we're not saying that you don't discipline your kids or, or whatever, not, not saying any of that, but the whole idea is acknowledging the good that they do. And this creates a really strong balance in how they grow up, being able to see the difference between what's working, what's not working, what's good, what's bad. Do you agree with that? I 100% agree with it. And um, one of the things that helped me really cement what I kind of created, I created this, you know, theology, this mythology, this theory in my head, uh, helped me really cement it was um, I have a labradoodle and I decided that I wanted to have her trained or I wanted to train her, learn how to train her. And I wanted her to do agility. So mm. anyway, went to a trainer, and what I realized is the dog had no issues. It was me that needed the training. I thought <laughs> the dog knew what to do. I had no clue. Um, and I read yeah, go train book. your dog. You might learn something too, right? <laughs> yes, exactly. I read this book called Don't Shoot the Dog. Now, it's not about shooting dogs, so don't right. recommend it. I Got don't it. Know many anti-gun people, okay? Yeah. Uh, but the, the concept is from you know, training animals, and which is what you just mentioned. Yeah. And it helped me to really understand and to clarify what it was that I was already doing. You know, reinforce the things that you want to continue. Ignore what you want to stop. So that right. you don't give it energy. That's right. Think about how we were raised and mm -hmm. how so many how so many people were raised, and even how you deal with a dog is yeah. we focus on shaming. Yes. Focus yes. On repeatedly saying, "How could you do that? You did that yeah. wrong." Yeah. And we we barely, barely, barely acknowledge the things that were done yeah. well. Yeah. And I want to. Say, I think you can correct me if I'm wrong. I want to say if if you make one negative comment, you need at least ten positives to over. Right there. Positive. Yes. There's that. There's this that idea that's out there, and I and I agree with it. Whatever the correct number is, and that probably is it. That is that's true. And you know it, the the science is is pretty clear about why um, negativity, why traumatic events, why all these sorts of things have such a profound effect on us as human beings. And partly, it's part of it is we hang on to it because of that that sort of fight or flight mentality that it's all about protecting ourselves and survival. And so we're kind of wired to be that way, which leads into the other part that you're saying, why people tend to point out the problems. I could tell you honestly, when I was raising my girls and they're now you know in their early 20s, um, there was a point, I think, particularly, you know, with both of them, but but um, that I realized as a father that I was continually, uh, constantly pointing out the things they were doing wrong. And, and that's the point that you're making there, but it wasn't even necessarily shaming. It was just always picking up on 
what they're doing wrong. Well, I looked at that as a scenario of, I, you know, I'm just trying to guide them and correct them. And, and I had the best of intentions. I did. But there was a point where I said to myself, you know, Kevin, you really need to knock that off. I mean, you need to you need to acknowledge and, and put forth the positive reinforcement, you know, genuinely. And there's there's a lot of it going on, but we're so wired as parents, as leaders, as managers to look at the problems that that's where we go. As a matter of fact, I have a little sort of a, a, a I don't know if it's a program, it's like almost like an activity that I give coaching clients where, you know, because the same thing happens in organizations, managers and leaders walk around and they're, and they're looking for the problems, you know, and they see the problems because they believe that's their job. And I give them an activity, an exercise to do over a two week period of time and that their whole job is to find the good things happening and say something about it. And we call it, see it, say it. And so it's not that you're ignoring the problems. We're not suggesting that you ignore the problems. The point is, is that to take a more balanced approach, bringing out the positive thing that's happening around you, and it creates a more balanced culture, I guess you could say, in your own mind, with other people, whatever the case might be. Well, and the other thing is, if someone is constantly being told, and especially if you're constantly saying it to yourself, if you're constantly being told, look at all these things yeah. that you did wrong. Right. Oh my gosh, I can't believe that you did that. And all right. you're hearing is, you did all these things wrong and you never hear that you did anything right then wow. you believe you begin to believe and it becomes more and more cemented inside those ruts get deeper wow. and deeper you're like why should i even try why should i bother wow. and not only do people in organizations give up but we can give up on that was what happened to me you know why should i even try why should i bother i gave up on myself right because nobody believed in me right. and i didn't believe in myself so because i didn't believe in myself it really didn't make any difference if yeah. anybody else believed in me because i didn't believe yeah. that they believed yeah um but if we don't try and flip things around where we are being positive and where yes. we are being kind Yes. Then we just give up because we believe that it doesn't make any difference. I mean, how wow. many times have you heard people in organizations say, you know what? It doesn't make any difference how hard I try. They're going to find something wrong with it anyway. A million times. And how many times if that person were given positive encouragement, even over the course of a month, would you see that work turning around where they That's would right. become among That's the right. top performers that's that's very possible and i i agree with you 100 percent. you know that that was interesting what you what you just said a moment ago where you uh you turned back this idea of how we talk to other people you you brought it back to how we talk to ourselves it's the same concept that many of us walk around and i'm guilty of this as like anybody else of talking very negatively to myself and I love this concept, which I'm going to ask you about a little bit more, this concept of how you should talk to yourself. I think that's really, it's striking that, you know, it almost would seem odd or, or feel odd at first that you're, you're, that you're talking to yourself in such a nice way. I have a question for you. One of our, um, in fact, it happens to be my sister, Sharon Bolton. Let, let me just put this. You had a question and, and just wanted to see if we can address it. It says, it says somewhere, uh, you know, can you address how we respond to individuals looking, uh, looking onto people who put themselves down constantly? They say just enough that it may hold shreds of truth, but we don't agree with it at all and want to be encouraging. Well, you can't, okay, this, this brings up something else. First of all, we can't do anything about anybody else. We are only in control okay. of us. So if what you're trying to do is to encourage your friend, then you could simply make I statements. If the friend says, you know, oh my gosh, I can't believe I did that. I can't believe, you know, that whatever. Then yeah. you can use I statements and say, you know, the other day I noticed that you were doing X, Y, Z, and I was so impressed. And Very interesting. Pull, pull them out from their negative comment rather than rebutting their comment, because then what is going to happen is you're going to end up in a, an argument, a discussion, because they're going to be trying to defend their ground. Yes. Why they are so unworthy. 
And you really don't want to be in that position. Where you want to be is you want to be in control of you, because that's the only person you've got control of, and you want to be encouraging them. So rather than pushing them to defend their ground, observe. And if you know that this person is this way, go into the encounter with them with at least three things prepared that you are going to put into the conversation about something that you noticed that you thought was so amazing. And then put them into the conversation. And then when they say, you, you make a comment about, oh, that's a lovely dress or something. And they say, oh, this old frock, then you just change the subject. You move on to something else. It goes back to that reinforcing. Reinforce what you yes. want to continue. Ignore what you want to stop. If you yes. wanted to stop saying, oh, this old frock, oh, uh, you, you know, dismissing your compliments, yes. ignore her dismissal, move on to something else. I think you cannot I th do anything about her. I think those are really wise words, I, I, and I completely agree with you. What you are putting forth is, one, the notion of positive reinforcement, but two, to your point about I statements, it's very, very difficult to rebut an I statement. Because if I say, hey, I noticed that you did something that, and wow, you know, I just really appreciate it so much. And if they begin to rebut it, you're, you're, you're still back into, I just noticed it. You know, you, it's, it's like they can't tell you how you ought to see things or feel. And it becomes very difficult. But then on top of that, if you can consistently do this, it may trigger them over time to, again, we're kind of going back to that see-do-get thing that over time they start to go, you know what, <laughs> I'm kind of noticing that myself, you see. And so there's a consistency piece that goes with that. That's, that's great advice right there. Listen, I want to, uh, we've just got a few minutes here. Um, I, I want to bring this out. I can't help but to uh, bring this up, that in your book, you assert some pretty bold takeaways. <laughs> I mean, let me just read the short list to, to the folks listening. It says something to the effect of, you know, after reading this book, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm saying that, you know, you will learn how to change shaming and blaming thoughts into loving and kind thoughts, loving and kind thoughts. That's what we just talked about. You will learn how, you know, and I'm using this word, you will learn how to, to set it all up. How to become your very best friend in the whole wide world. And we're going to ask you about that a little bit more. You're going to learn how to fill the my size hole in your heart with love, one shovel at a time. You mentioned that. Um, you will be able to speak kindly to yourself. We just talked about that. You will know how to create plans of action for different food situations and celebrations that resolve around food. You will know how to ask for and get what you need. Very interesting assertion there. Um, you will be well on your way to filling the my size hole in your heart. You will learn how uh, and you will learn you are never alone. I want I want to hear just a little bit about that. Can you address any of those things? M many of them you've already kind of talked about them throughout the course of your your piece here. Well, the main thing is to learn that you're never alone. And the reason that you're never alone is because you discover my very my very best friend in the whole wide world, which is you. And I I realize, you know, I am two people. I am me and then I am my very best friend in the whole wide world. Wow. So just embracing the fact that I am never alone because I'm always with someone who does love me no matter what. That's so wow. important. My very best friend in the whole wide world loves me no matter what. They wow. don't care what I did. They don't care what I said. They don't care what I think. Everything I do, they never stop loving me. So it is absolutely unconditional. What so on those, on those times when I feel like I am alone, <clears throat> I'm not. I just remind myself, I'm not alone. And how many people right now feel as if they are alone? Yes, a great point. And I would add to that how many people uh, either listening or will listen to this later on, or how many people do you know that can't sp spend a moment by themselves? Because it's, it's and this might be the blind spot that I'm talking about. They don't realize that the problem is, is that they don't know how to spend time by themselves because they either don't like themselves, they don't like the thoughts they have, 
and they don't. And it's an interesting concept that you're bringing out here that you are you and then you you also have you, your best friend. I don't think I've ever heard that before and it's just really striking. It resonates with me so much. Well, it was very liberating for me because I didn't, well, I used to like to be alone because uh, it was quieter. But now I do not mind being by myself because mm -hmm. I'm not by myself. And I can have great conversations with myself. Um, I tell myself, you know, wow, I, I'm so proud of what you did today. Um, I'm so proud that, you know, you didn't want to go to the gym, but you went to the gym anyway and look at everything you did. I'm so proud of you for um, sweeping the floor. I know that you didn't want to do that. I mean, I, I go around telling myself I'm proud of myself all the time. Why? Because that's what I need. That's what I want to hear. And so many times, think of all the people who are looking outside for everything that's already inside. Yes. We, we may, you know, if you have a husband, a wife, a friend, a parent, or whatever, mm. we may be wanting them to say, I am so proud of you. Well, let me give you a newsflash. Other people are not going to say the words to you that you really want them to say. So yeah. start saying them to yourself. And then you don't feel as if you're missing out. Yes. And you we're, can, yes. You can ask. You can ask, you know, for what it is you want. And especially if you're using I statements, I can say to my husband, I really need to hear from you at least once a day that you love me. I need this because it's important to me. And then you just leave it. Oh, wow. And that's what you meant by, um, by um, know, know how to ask for and get what you need. That's, yes. that's, that's interesting as well to, to literally tell your, your friends or your spouse or whatever the case might be, these sorts of things. And, you know, you know, and if like if my wife were to say that to me, or if I were to say it to her, you know, either one of us would be, you know, just delighted to do it. If, you know, but we don't maybe always do this or we don't carry it around in our mind, or maybe we just don't even realize that that's what you need and that's what you'd like. Well, but the other part of that is, you know, once you put it out there and you put your I statement out there and you say, you know, this is important to me. Yeah. Recognize again, you only have control of you. You have yeah. no control over the other person. Yeah. So you have put your truth out there. Yeah. Whether they pick it up and react and do anything about it, that's yeah. on them. Yeah. You have been true to you. And so then you have the conversation with yourself, with my very best friend in the whole wide world. I am so proud of you. You were honest about what it was you, you needed. You stated it very clearly, and then you left it alone. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. Uh, one thing I can tell you that one thing that my wife does not hesitate to ask me for, she she's always, you know, ask, asking me for like, you know, uh, don't, don't you have something to do outside of the house today, um, you know? <laughs> I need some alone time. And I'm like, okay, you know, she loves her alone time. I got to be honest with you about that. So listen, a couple of the quick things here. Um, um, th there's another place in the book that you said, um, you said, after you read, you can't eat love. I promise you will never look at another trip the same way again. And this is the one that really interested me. You will never look at an oxygen mask the same way again. Tell, tell, the, tell the, the, the folks about that. Well, if you fly, you know, they always give you that little speech. And now they got yes. a video about it. And they say, you know, yes. when oxygen mask falls, put, put your own oxygen mask on and then help other people. Yeah. But it occurred to me that what I had been doing is I had been running around putting oxygen masks on everybody else. I was busy helping wow. other people. I was busy making sure that everybody had what it was they needed. I was busy, you know, making sure my husband had whatever he needed, my friends, my family, you know, anybody, the neighbors, anybody had everything they needed. And at the same time, I was denying myself anything that I needed. Uh, I was denying myself, you know, either quiet yeah. time or, you know, wow. uh, kind words to my, I was even denying yeah. myself words of kindness towards myself. Yeah. And um, I happen to be, you know, you've got Google and YouTube and all that kind of stuff, right? It's you know, amazing. Um, of course, if it's on the internet, it's true. I'm sure everybody knows that. But I stumbled across this little blurb on the internet and it said, when that oxygen mask falls, you have 30 seconds. And I was like, oh, wait, hold on. 
And so then the pieces, it was kind of like dominoes started, or more of Tetris, really. You yeah. know, you click the big block and the whole thing crashes <laughs> down and it's just amazing. Yeah. Um, and I was like, okay, that's what I've been doing. I've been running around chasing people down, putting oxygen masks on. And I even say, I was even putting oxygen masks on people who didn't need it. You know, they were doing fine on their own. They didn't need anything from me. They were doing okay. And here I am insisting on putting an oxygen mask on them. At the same time, I'm gasping for air. And I tell people now, think about this. You're running around. You're putting everybody else's oxygen mask on. That plane lands. And where are you? You are laid out in the aisle. People are walking over you. A year from now, they may think about you and they may say, oh, there's that very nice person who helped me. But where are you going? To? Yeah, yeah. Where are you going wow. to you know, this, the, the other part that this resonates, and just for those who are listening, you know, we, we're, we kind of went over an hour here, but, you know, just, just a few more minutes and, and we'll be done here. But, um, you know, what you're talking about, at least in part, and whether in, you intend it to be that way or not, you know, this is, uh, this is a situation that I see a lot of moms into. And we, we, with the best of intention, I'm guilty of it too. You know, I call people like, you know, like my wife and, and my sister and perhaps people like you and other, particularly mothers, you know, we call them super moms and, and we are certainly grateful. But I think it's also fair to say that, you know, that, you, you know, that, moms have to look out for themselves too you know that you you can't just burn yourself out and you know i don't know you you get what my point is well, well the the thing that happens is you don't have any energy and then yeah. you start being resentful yeah yeah and then you yeah. also additionally you yeah. lose any kind of creativity you lose any kind of drive you lose yeah. any, you start becoming uh, kind of a shell of yourself because yeah. you poured so much out to everybody else without yeah. taking care of yourself. Yeah, and, and it, it actually, um, you know, society teaches us. Uh, and Susan, thank you so much. Um, society teaches us that this is what we should be doing, and managers can be the same way. Managers yes. can fall into the same trap. Yeah. That I've got to work these 60 hours. I've got to do this. I've got to do this. And they're doing it. And I call it sacrificing themselves on the altar of what? Yeah. And yeah. how many people do we have around us that are sacrificing yeah. themselves on the altar of yeah. what? What is it they're doing? Yeah. You know, and, and certainly there would be many. And I, I can think of so many uh, uh, mothers out there, you know, honestly, um, and and I can say this with some credibility because in raising our girls, particularly, you know, I was a pretty present dad, and I I I took them places. So so I'm saying that I I saw mothers out there, a lot of them out there, just doing overtime, and and you know this, I, I mean, they wouldn't trade it for the world. So it's not as though there's a they're they're complaining about it. But I think to your point, there is a point where you do have to show yourself love that you've given so much to so many other people that some will become, yeah, resentful about it. And maybe others won't. So, I mean, we don't necessarily have to put people in this box, but I, I do, I wholeheartedly agree with what you're saying. And part of that is to love yourself. I think that's so incredibly important. So here, two quick things. Okay, one, now you, you did say that, um, you said here, let's see, um, very quickly, this is, you all want to stick around and hear this part. It said that two years after reaching the weight that I knew I could live with, I decided to fall in love with deadlifting. <laughs> I mean, mic drop, you know, as in like, as in deadlifting weights and pulling and throwing them over your head type stuff no, or, or pulling them to your knees or whatever. I, I, I'm up to 225 pounds and no, I do not weigh anywhere close to 225 that's, pounds. That's no absolutely lifting, nuts. What I mean is, you know, 225 pounds of weight are on the ground. Yeah. I stand up with it. No, I do not do the cleans. You know, I can, it, I can bench press 85 pounds. In the most endearing way, I'm just going to say you're just starting to come across as a badass now. <laughs> so one last thing, Leslie, before we close here, is there anything else maybe just like, you know, and maybe you've already said this, but, you know, where do people start? You know, and, and I'm going to I need to ask right after this about your book and, and show the cover here. But 
where do people start to learn to love themselves? Where, where would you recommend they start? What's the first step? To know that they are enough. Just, just that they are enough. They have every single solitary thing they need inside of them. Wow. And maybe somebody just needs to help them find it. But right now, wow. where they are, they are enough. Wow. Well, listen, I'm going to put your um, I'm going to put your your book cover on the screen. I want everybody to see it's a beautiful book cover, by the way. Um, please don't let me wrong here. But, but and then I want to ask you, where can people find you? Where can they find their book and this? So, and we will put them in the show notes. But uh, so here's the book right here. You can't eat love. What, what, what a great book cover. Um, you know, tell tell us, Leslie, where tell, you know, the folks listening where they can find your book or where they can find you, whatever the case might be. Uh, you can find me on my website, which is youcan'teatlove.com. Uh, the book is available on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Target, Walmart, yeah. all those things. But all those locations are also on the website. Um, and there's also places where people can contact me if they want to. I have a Facebook page, You Can't Eat Love. Uh, yeah. And if anybody reaches out, I will answer. Somebody and I can say, somebody said, are you a real person? I said, yes, I'm a real person. <laughs> yes, you are. You're you're really down to earth. And I, and I will say now you've written five, uh, five, you're working on another book, something about aliens or something or zombies <laughs> or what? What is it? <laughs> yeah. It's called Zombie Siege. And uh, it's essentially, <laughs> it was a project that I did last year on Facebook to entertain myself and amuse myself. And it's pictures of the dogs, my my dog and my grand dogs that I run doggy daycare, you know, and oh my gosh. these after action type reports on Facebook. And so I'm turning it into a book. Yeah. <laughs> that is fantastic. Well, listen, uh, you know, Leslie Lindsay Davis, you know, thank you so much. God bless you, uh, you know, for just really being so down to earth and passing on truly some great, great ideas and information for everybody. Um, I'm going to put you in just a moment back into the virtual green room. I'd love for you to stay there for a second so I can come just uh, bid you farewell. But I do want to say thank you so much from uh, f from everybody that's listening and watching for spending this time with us. Really was terrific. Well, thank you so much, and I really appreciate it. Okay. Um, so listen, everybody, let me uh, conclude here and just, uh, again, thank thank Leslie for just a terrific time and, and even – more, I appreciate you all being here, those who stuck around and listened and chimed in. It really makes all of this so, so worthwhile. It, it just, you know, that's, this is the purpose of, of Grow Yourself from the Inside Out. It's just trying to bring people, ideas, concepts, skills, uh, thoughts, um, you know, to help you, me, us, all of us grow from the inside out. And uh, I just so appreciate the fact that you uh, joined us here today and, um, you know, keep on the lookout two weeks from uh, two weeks from tonight. We'll have another guest and another uh, good time. So thanks so much. God bless. And we'll talk to you soon. <laughs>